Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Richest Men in Town podcast. I'm Mike Freeman, and along with my good friend and co-host, Tyler Gould, we're excited to welcome you to our little podcast project. Tyler and I are just a couple of middle-aged husbands and dads driven to live our best lives. We want to be better every day, so here we'll be sitting down with great people, not famous people, but great people that we admire, to learn their secret to living the rich life. Probably not the rich life you're thinking of. Our guests come in humbled and surprised at the invitation and hopefully leave feeling proud and grateful, realizing just how good they really have it. So pull up a chair, stay a while, and raise a glass with us as we toast our guests to the richest men in town. Mike Freeman. Tyler Gould. What a night, what a night, man. We got, we got to spend some time with uh, Dan Funk. On this uh, on this episode of Richest Men in Town, and might uh, be my new favorite episode. It just just might be mine too, man. It was uh, it was fun. It was emotional, and it was uh, it was powerful. What what are what are some of your takeaways, and what are some of the things that you enjoyed uh, about your time with Dan? Okay, so when we uh, when we call people on to this show, they they bear it all, right? They come in and they're vulnerable. Uh, and, and we've acknowledged that that's where they're most powerful. Uh, we have not heard a story like Dan Funk before. Um, when we talk about hard things, uh, we've had some Hall of Fame hard things. Yeah. Right? Our guests have gone through and they've endured and they've, they've learned from these challenges and it's made them the richest men in town. But Dan Funk shares losing everything. Yeah. Every- Coming to a point where he loses everything Job style, right? Yeah. And uh, it, it really made me think of a line from uh, Rudyard Kipling's If. Hearing him tell that, that kind of the tragic uh, unraveling, really, of things. Uh, Rudyard Kipling has this line talking about how to teach your son to be a man. Um you could watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. And that's that, that line came to my mind as we were listening to Dan tell that, tell that story. Uh, His is a story of faith. His is a a story of trying to meet expectations, uh, unrealistic expectations, where those expectations and pressure come from. (laughs) He, he shines a light on uh, church culture. And man, we, we, we got to be better, right? And I think that if this episode is filling our hearts with a desire to be better, then we're, do, we're doing our job. And definitely walk away from our time with Dan Funk, freaking fired up to be better and to do better. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I mean, I, I just, I love the, the, the story he tells, right? And, and the, the way that he tells it and, and he'll tell you, you know, he's in the middle of building right now. He's in the middle of, of trying to get, get what, he, what he wants to be and, 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 and reach those, those goals. And but, in the process, his entire worldview has changed. And his, entire, changed. Yeah. His, entire, his entire priority structure is different as a result of the hardships that he's gone through. Right. And I love you ask him a question uh, at one point. You ask him. If if you talk to someone who's going through the same thing that you that you've gone through, what would you say to them? 
right? And, and so many times we think about what we would say, what's the speech we would give, what's the quote we would, we would recite. And what's Dan scripture? Said, what's the sermon? Dan says, I would give him a hug, right? And to me, that, that's it. Man, if, if we were all huggers like Dan, <laughs> right, things would be a lot better. We, well, we, we were even debriefing and thinking about, you know, instead of a ministering list, can we just, you and I can sit down with a prayer in our hearts and say, who needs a hug right now? That's a powerful list. Amen. And if we can act on that prompting and just, you know, in a COVID sensitive way, hand out some hugs and just let people know that we don't, we don't need to understand everything. Yeah. We don't need to know what you're going through. We can just be with you and let you know, because I think you backed it up, right? I'll give you a hug, and then I'm here for you. Yeah. I'm here to let you know. And guess what? The hug tells them that. Yeah, we don't have to have the answer, right? We don't have to, we don't have, to have a ready answer in our hip pocket ready to go. And I would say this, one of the key takeaways, and these are, this is something that I'm going to put into practice in my home tonight. We pray for people that are struggling, right? That God might help them, that my, God might give them strength, that they might feel close, that they might have guidance. We need to be praying that we might know how to help them. And that's a shift. And I learned that listening to Dan. Dan's story, I see myself in Dan's story, not in a good way. Yeah. I see... I see myself as that church-going person making sure that everything looks good and walking right by people that need things, yeah. like hugs. Yep. Yeah, Powerful. I agree. It was, a, it was a night not to be forgotten soon, right? So it was good stuff. So listen, let's, uh, let's, let's take some, some time to, to compile that list of people we can hug when COVID uh, allows us to do so again, right? But uh, let's be thinking about how we can impact people and just let them know that we love them. Right? Well, and, and, and I think, too, what can we do in this COVID environment that would be the equivalent of the hug, right? Like if you cut me open, one of my core beliefs that I've preached and preached and preached before is that the best answer is a simple one. And it doesn't get any simpler than a hug. I, I agree. So let's find that equivalent so yeah. that we can just let people know. Maybe it's a text, right? Can we do something to let them know that we are thinking about them? Because, man, look around the world, right? Yeah. The world has a lot of folks that could learn lessons that Dan Funk teach, teaches tonight. There's a lot of people that are going through a hard time could use a hug. Yeah, look, I think our listeners are going to enjoy Dan. He's a character. He's, a, he, he's, a, he's got personality. He's fun. He's got energy busting, busting through the mic, man. Yeah, he is, he is full of energy, but he's, uh, he's full of lessons as well. And so take notes. Enjoy The Richest Man in Town with Dan Funk. Where I'm coming from with my, t with my text to you mm -hmm. is uh, I've been thinking about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, right? Okay. Not, not literally climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. But um, in that climb, I'm sitting here wondering to myself, because I'm kind of obsessed with this idea of keeping score. Okay. Right? 
and I'm, I'm questioning how do I know how I'm doing? Like if I'm on a trip, if I'm on a hike, uh, you've been backpacking, I've been backpacking. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice to know I'm going to start here. This is my destination. After a day, here's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. After day two, here's where I'm at. Yeah. And you talk about mile markers a lot, right? So in this thing called life, we talked last episode with, with Kiefer Marino about climbing, mm-hmm. that, that call to be better and, and that ascent, right? Yeah. How do I know where I'm at? How do I know how I'm doing? What does that look like? What systems can I have in place, right? And I think that's, that's what's been on my mind. Actually, ever since our forgiveness, if you go back to that episode, I yeah. kind of pose a question of what's a scorecard for life? What's a scoreboard for life, right? You and yeah. I go play golf, nine holes. You know where you're at, four holes in. Yeah. You know where you're at, six holes in. Yeah, 25 over par. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you know, every sport has a PR, right? If you're playing individual sport, like if you're a runner, a cycler, a swimmer, you, you, you're against a clock. And you know how you're doing because you've got this clock. Why don't we in life have something to tell? And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying we don't, mm-hmm. but it'd be awesome if this show is about you and I living a better life and helping other people do it. It would be, it'd be great to maybe have that discussion as far as what does it look like, right? Like I am moved by the, by the thing you sent to me through Facebook Messenger on the bucket of balls. Yeah. Like that guy, no, I'm gonna pull. It, I'm gonna pull it up, right? I'm gonna pull it up and read it, just just as a re- yeah, just as a reminder. Yeah. So old man cleaning out his garage comes across a bucket of balls. Baseballs, right? Yeah, yeah. baseballs. Mm-hmm. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, you know, I just want to make sure it's not bowling balls. You know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's important clarification, especially with content in our last episode. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so imagine old guy right sunset of his life and he comes across this memento from his past with small children right with his boys bucket of bucket of baseballs so he literally puts a note on them and puts it out there free right free to anybody and this is what he says He says, hope someone can use some of these baseballs in the batting cages. I found them cleaning out my garage. I pitched them to my son and grandson for countless rounds. My son is now 46. And my grandson is 23. I'm 72. And what I won't give to pitch a couple of buckets to them. They both moved away. If you are a father, cherish these times. You won't believe how quickly they'll be gone. God bless. P.S. Give them a hug and tell them you love them every chance you get. Yeah. I mean. At 72, brother, that's not the time to keep score. At 72, that's not the time to say, how am I doing? But, but I would say that maybe maybe we that question is 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 something we're supposed to ask ourselves all the time right 
Okay, check this out. Funny yeah. that you mentioned that, asking ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. You get some harebrained idea of running 10 miles a week. Thank yeah. you, David Hill. Yes, David. So today, I get the crazy idea to put in a couple miles before the podcast. I did two and a half. I yeah. did 2.2. So here we go, right? Yeah. So, so we're doing it. We're doing work, chipping doing away. Work. Yep. I listened to a podcast, one of my favorites, Art of Manliness, this episode brought to you by Art of Manliness. Art of Manliness has an author, the author of Insight. I'll put the author's names in the show notes. Sorry, I don't have that name. She proceeds to tell us that her research shows that 95% of people claim to be (laughs) self-aware. In reality, her research shows that about 12 or 13% are actually self-aware so does she does she give you a definition of self-aware oh yeah all right let's hear it no there's internal there's external right there's internal about who you want to be versus who you are external is who does the world see you to be yeah long long story but the bottom line is is 80 percent give or take yeah 80 percent on any given day is lying to themselves about lying to themselves that's pretty complex, man. Yeah. So, so if I'm keeping score, it's like I'm checking in. Hey, Mike, how am I doing? If I think I'm self-aware, right? Yeah, but and I'm I, not. Then I'm set up. I'm setting myself up. I'm running off a cliff. I think. I think that if we're looking at something and we are, um. And we're asking ourselves questions, right? How are we doing? And then we are also doing things about it. I think that, to me, that, that's what this is all about. I mean, look, we can scientifically break it down and say that every time you ask yourself, if you don't do something, then technically you fall into the category of the person that's lying to themselves about being self-aware, about not being self-aware and being self-aware, right? <laughs> we, could have, we could throw ourselves in that category probably multiple times a week. And, and I am that guy probably that lies to himself that he's self-aware on many occasions. 100%. 100%. I'm 100% think, in that 80%. But I think, I think, though, that you're not giving yourself enough credit because if you're looking at yourself and saying, hey, I got to make some adjustments and you're making adjustments, that's, that's to me, that's, that's where, where the rubber hits the road, right? It's one thing to sit down and make a list, say, hey, here's the – you know, we talked about this earlier. You said, I made a list of all these things I wanted to do and I haven't done any of them, right? So it's one thing to keep a list and never check something off the list. And if someone says, hey, have you ever thought about, you know, the things, what you should be in life? You're like, oh yeah, I got a list of it, man. Oh yeah, check the journal. Yeah, my journal's full of it, right? Well, what have you done? Well, I haven't done any of it yet, right? But I think if we're, and, and, and I don't think there's a time that it's too late to start to be self-aware. Because okay, but but here's 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 one of the questions I have, yeah, right? Okay. Let's say in my reflection, yeah, I realize I'm not physically fit. You're running ten miles a week, homie. Right. No, it's totally different now. So I <laughs> I jump in my car and I go to Dick's and I and I drop twelve hundred dollars on a bike. Yeah, I like that. And now I'm gonna go cycling. Mm-hmm. And now I'm cycling for four hours. Yeah. On a Saturday. And I got a, I got a family at home. 
So now myself is saying, I'm feeling fit. Man, the first time I got on that bike, that hurt, but now I'm feeling fit. Who, how do I get the feedback that I need to make sure that those other bases are covered, right? How am I doing? What does that look like? Okay, I hate to even bring this up because this is kind of a butt of a joke in my house anyways. Yeah. But on your mission, Tyler. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever have companionship inventory? Um, like formally say, let's sit down and have companionship inventory. Yeah. No, but there's plenty of times where like, Luke, you're a freaking <laughs> inventory. So the, the premise is basically you sit down with, you sit down with, with the guy that you're serving a mission with and you sit and you talk about it. How, how, how's the work going? How are the two of you working together? Right. And then, you apply that to mm -hmm. the mission and then the idea is that that lesson sticks with you and as you get married have you and ricky ever had companionship inventory yeah i could say we have yeah okay keep it keep it g-rated right okay. yeah but we absolutely have yeah and i think that that's that's valuable feedback right yeah 100 percent. and, and she's 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 uh initiating companionship inventory because I'm the companion that's gone off the rails, right? That's usually <laughs> how this works. <laughs> yeah, she's usually the one that's like, you're a beep. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Let me play something for you. Let me okay. play something for you. This is a lot of why I'm all, I'm all introspective. Okay. Hi, Mike. This is Trish Patterson over at Prestige. I just wanted to let you know I got your wellness labs back. I did CC a copy to Dr. Miranda, but I just want to let you know it was pretty unremarkable with the exception of your bad cholesterol. I'd like to low 100. You're at 115. And then your hemoglobin A1C, the marker for diabetes. Um, we like it below 5.7, which indicated a possible prediabetes, and you're at 5.9. So some lifestyle modifications with exercise and sugar and carbohydrates um, reduction should take care of that. If you have any questions, you can give us a call, but Dr. Miranda should get a copy of this also. Have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. Hey, so before you jump in, let me just say, like, one, Trish Patterson? I think, is that, is that her name? She is the most positive deliverer of a message I've ever heard, right? Like, <laughs> like I, I mean, I want her to call me when I'm sick. It's like, Tyler, how's it going, buddy? You got one day left to live and uh, woo, have fun, pal. You know what I mean? She was great. I love it. That was great. Now, so, so you're, you, you, got, you got that staring you in the face. What? Yeah. Like, uh, Stephen Mitchell in my, in my head, right? What are you going to do about it? None of that is a surprise. But you're doing work now. I am. I am. And honestly, because I am going to be held accountable by you. Yeah. Right. There's some systems that thanks to this podcast, I've actually put in my life some systems of reflection, some, some systems of action and accountability. Yeah. But it needs to be intentional yeah. because if I don't do something about that, you and I were talking, if I don't do something about that, the next call is, Hey, welcome to type two diabetes. Yeah. Come on in. We'll get you some prescription, right? Yeah. Oh, welcome to high blood pressure. Yeah. Welcome to bad cholesterol. Come on in. We'll get you a prescription. Right. Yeah. So, so I think that there's, th there's definitely some work to be done. 
in how I change. And that's kind of the premise of the show, right? How do we change? But when you get a call like that, it, it really makes you rather introspective. Yeah. And, and unfortunately I think like human nature is, is that, you know, we, we sit down, we come home from work, right? You got all, you spend all day at work, you come home, you know, in your, in your head, even before this call ever occurred, you know, I got I should work out, dude. You sit down, you grab a bag of chips, you turn on the TV, you eat a few chips, you're watching the tube, you're watching sports, which is the irony of it all, right? You're watching these fully athletic, in-shape people play, and you're like, this is amazing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Meanwhile, you're just packing on the pounds. And then when someone says, hey, you got a problem, it's like, holy crap, 10 miles a week, here I come, and, and it's out the door running, right? And, and I wish it wasn't that way. I'm in the same boat, you know, but, but you're there. You know, and you know I, what I love? It. You know what I love about the plan, actually, though? Hmm. The old Mike Freeman would have said, fantastic. I'm going to go run four miles a day. Yeah. Ten miles. Ten hmm. miles over the course of a week is chump change. It's doable. It's doable, right? Small and, small and simple things can make some pretty significant changes. You know, and we've got a mutual friend tonight, mutual new friend, Daniel Funk, is going to be joining us uh, actually shortly. And I'm yeah. wondering if he's got answers to things like procrastination, right? <laughs> to, yeah. things, to things he might have some insight to, to, well, uh, to help us out, right? In his that's story. why we've got him on the show, right? Because he's got to, he better be bringing some answers, dude, or what's, what's this all about, man? Right? <laughs> so let's get him in here. All right, here we, here we go. Dan. Hey Mr. Guys. Funk, welcome to the richest men in town, brother. How are you? Good. Good. I'm excited to be on with you guys. Hey, I'm excited too because we've uh we've we've hyped you up quite a bit here. Just recently we told our listeners that you've got all the answers. Oh well, your listeners are gonna be highly disappointed. <laughs> but if I don't know the answer, I'll make up something really good. <laughs> okay, cool. Hey, ask, hey, what uh I was just bearing my soul and my medical uh, history to our listeners. Um, and I'm wondering what's your take on uh, what's your remedy for procrastination? Oh, I, I you don't, don't suffer. You don't suffer hey, from procrastination and putting off changes, right? I, I, okay. Well, what are we talking about? Are we, are, are we talking about spiritual stuff for repentance? Or are we talking about like work? Because look, procrastination is a pretty powerful tool when you're, when you're, when you're talking about worldly earthly things, right? I mean, I do my best work five minutes before something's due sometimes. You know? So, no, hold on. so I, I've convinced myself I do my best work five minutes before something's due. I'm not quite sure if that's an accurate tr statement. Tr tr trust me. I've tried it the other way and it doesn't always work. So, well, no, so I was, I was talking a little bit about, uh, I was talking about lifestyle changes and we were kind of reflecting on our last guest and uh, this process of climbing, right? Pro progressing through life and trying to get better. Uh, I got a call from my doctor saying, hey, there's some pre-diabetic condition. There's some bad cholesterol. You might want to make some lifestyle changes. And you know, there's a book that's called Change or Die 
and nine out of 10 people that get that call don't change. I, you know, I've, I've seen people, I see people uh, around me. I had someone at work uh, recently, an older gentleman, this is an employee, not a resident. And he basically almost died right in my lobby. You know, he's overweight, very unhealthy lifestyle. And he was in the ICU for probably a, a week and a half, two weeks. And he came out of the ICU and the doctor essentially said, look, you're, you're a ticking time bomb. You are going to die if you don't make these changes. And for a couple of weeks, he made some changes, started to lose another, a, a little bit of weight. But it's probably a month, month or two later, he's completely back to where he was before. And I'm like, I, I don't get, I, I like to believe if I was in that situation, I'd be like, I, I'm sorry, I, I want to stay alive as long as possible. I'll make those changes. But I, it, it's true. It's, it's a crazy thing about, about humans, I guess. Yeah, I can't figure that one out. Well, well, I'd like to figure that out. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of things connected to that, right? Because, you know, I think change, change is hard. Change is hard. And, and if we, if we're, you know, whether it's physical change, like we want to work out, we want to get in shape or it's, it's spiritual change, it's hard. And, and it's, it's a commitment that has to be made and it has to be this long-term commitment, right? I mean, I talk to my kids about, about spiritual things and we talk about how there's no plateau, right? There's no, there's no pinnacle. You're not going to reach the top and then it becomes, I've made it and now I can sit back because everything is good. It's this lifetime pursuit. And, and unfortunately, you know, habits can be, can be tough to break. And, and it's easy to fall back into it. Here's the interesting thing, right? I mean, and I, I don't know, I think there's in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Tipping Point, I believe he talks about habits, right? He talks about a certain number of hours that it takes to get good at something, right? So you spend these hours becoming- it's like 10,000 10, hours or yeah, something like right, that. Right, yeah, yeah. So you, you spend or, all these hours becoming good at something, but if you take a certain, just a, a fraction of that time away from it, you lose- a lot of that, a lot of that progression that you've made. Right. And so I think that's the difficult thing, especially when we allow ourselves to get into a position where we've, we've become so overweight, right. That it's that now it's just painful to do the work or we've become so far removed from the gospel of Jesus Christ that it becomes painful to get back to where you need to be. I think that's change is not easy, but change is worth it. Right. I mean, look, how long have we been doing 10 miles a week, Mike? Two weeks. <laughs> I feel better already, dude. I feel better already. I, I was going to say, you guys look so, you're, uh, you seem so fit. I, I, I'm surprised you're struggling with this weight issue. I bought a slimming running. camera for this show, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. but I think I'm, a, I'm a swimmer, right? I'm a, I'm a swimmer. <laughs> How's that going for me? Right. I got goggles for Christmas because I wanted to declare to the world that I was a swimmer and I've swam twice. <laughs> <laughs> okay but you, all right but i have this observation though okay i i do think there's a little you know point totally taken with with the the spiritual side it can be hard to come back but i i've often thought look you know i i go through periods of time where i'm working out and then i stop working out right i'm i i, I run a nursing home I had the COVID started in my, in my facility. I stopped going to the gym. 
And then I got COVID myself. So I haven't been to the gym for a couple of months. When you go back to the gym, it almost feels like you have to completely start back from where you, you know, you're starting from couch potato. Now, sometimes with the spiritual stuff, it's not, I don't think it's exactly the same because I can't tell you the number of times I've gotten, you know, you go through your ups, go through your downs, right? You know, scriptures, when you read your scriptures every day, you pray every day, you're diligent, you feel the spirit and then you lax and you don't do it every day. And then when you start doing it again, you know, the, the, the spirit comes back pretty quickly. I've always been surprised at how quickly the, the Lord comes running back. The spirit comes running back um, to you. And so I've always kind of felt like the spiritual side maybe is a, a little bit different. There's some similarities, but the, I think the Lord's much more quick to come back to us than the physical man is. Yeah, I, I think to, to that point, I think that the Lord is quick to come back to us. I think sometimes whether we attach shame or guilt or whatever else, yeah. we're slower to come back to him. Right. Yeah. And so that maybe that's the difficult part of it is to just forgive ourselves and say, look, we made a mistake. Let's, or whatever, or I've fallen in some bad habits and I can, I can turn out of these and, and get, get my feet back on the ground. Cause like you said, he's waiting there ready to yeah. say, let's go. You know, we're just, sometimes we're slow to that. I think at least, I guess I'm not the only guy. Yeah, maybe. I, but, but then, then <laughs> where the similarity, Hey, where, where the similarity is there, it's that natural man, right? The natural man is, you know, you stop working out. The natural man is slow to come back. We're, yeah. Natural man is slow to forgive, to forgive ourselves. But you look at the, like the prodigal son, right? He started and, and, and his father saw him from a far way off and came running to yeah. him. I think that's what the Lord, that's what the Lord is. Yeah, but I think, okay, so let's, let's pursue this a little bit, right? Because, because there's change and then there's become. And, and I'm, I'm interested in that, in that transition, right? So like, let's say I'm working on something and maybe I received some feedback that I'm not the most patient individual. So maybe somewhere I've got a note, hey, be patient, right? Be patient. What would a patient person do here? What would a patient person do here, right? And over time... Over time, I'm going to acquire that attribute and become patient, right? So then I don't have to make a note and be like, what does a patient do? Like, oh, that, that Mike guy is super patient, right? And I think obedience is like that. None of us wake up, I'm hoping, none of us wake up and in our to-do list, the first thing on the list is like obey commandments, right? We, we become, over time, we become obedient. Now there's some things that we're not doing, right? We've got some things that we are working on and those are probably at the, at the checklist stage. But I think that it would be fantastic for me to just not say run 2.2, right? Or run 10 miles a week. That's just, I'm fit. But I think, I think though that there's that if we're looking for this moment where change turns to I am, right? I, I think that then, then we're, we're, we're always searching, right? I think that if we just allow ourselves to be in the process, eventually we look back and go, oh, I am that now, right? And I think like if you, if you consider your own progression, if you to go back to obedience, right? At what point did you say, man, yeah, that's it. I got it. I, I'm, I'm obedient to these things. 
It, I don't, and for me, that's not the case. Yeah, I just no. living it. I'm striving. I'm trying. I'm failing. I'm fixing. I'm working. And then someone says, man, you really, you're doing good at this. And I'm like, oh, really? Because in my mind, I'm like breaking everything in my path, you know? Um, well, in the end, isn't it? Hey, if I can be a little bit more obedient today than I was yesterday, if I can be a little bit more patient um, today than I was yesterday. And then sometimes it's like, hey, patient. Yes, I'm going to put up that reminder. Be patient, be patient. But at some point, I got to stop and ask the question, well, why am I not patient? What is it about myself that's making me not patient? Is there something here that I need to uncover that will help me be more patient? Is there something standing in the way that I need to, to, you know, why am I not being obedient? Not just help me be obedient, but why am I not that way? Identify those things. And, and there's probably things deeper that, that we can change that will help us get to those goals a lot quicker. Okay. So, so Dan, take that thought and that one Tyler that you've often expressed, right? I am who I am. That, that people have said to you, feel that difference. Yeah. I am who I am versus, hey, why is this thing not falling in line? Yeah. Why am I not obedient with that particular aspect of, of, of the gospel, right? What is it about me? What is it about my background? Why? And doing that work is yeah. soul-changing work. Well, well, and the, I, the I, I am what I am is your excuse to not have to change too. It, it's the same right. thing. Like when I tell people say, Hey, look, just so you know, I can be kind of bossy. That's just who I am. You know, what you're telling me is like, you're a bossy person. People don't like you and you don't want to change for some reason. <laughs> Why is that? And I think that whole, I am who I am or, you know, is, is a hopeless way to, to live. It's, it's like giving up on this idea that, that we can progress and, and that things can be different, which I, I always find that interesting because the I am who I am is usually attached to the personality, right? Or the, mm -hmm. the character of that person. It's not attached to their financial situation or their, right? Because they're saying, I'm going to work harder and make some more cash, but I'm going to be a complete jerk to everybody I know because that's just who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. And that's a pretty sad way to go through life. And it's a lonely way to go through life eventually, right? Because I am who I am ends up with just that, right? Well, and another way to say that is like, look, here's why I give myself a pass for mistreating you because I'm this way. And because of that, I'm just going to mistreat you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's in the case of mistreatment, right? In the case of my cholesterol and pre-diabetic condition, <laughs> I love Hostess products. <laughs> I, who does I am, who, man? Come I am on. who I am right I could yeah. just yield to that and be like yeah man uh, give me give me a Twinkie I'm good yeah and who you are is a dead man in about six months if you exactly. don't change that that's got to change that's got to change or I am who I am is gonna you know it's gonna be short-lived yeah I I think it's you know I I think that there, there's a there's a balance right when we're when we're talking about change and wanting to better ourselves to uh overthinking right mike mike brought up a, a a book or an author that talked about you know 90 some percent of people say that they're self-aware and according to the research only 13 percent are self-aware <laughs> right so you have you have 80 percent of of those people are walking around saying they're self-aware, but they're not self-aware. You know, if someone's telling you I'm a very self-aware person, that's probably an indication <laughs> that they're not, right? Because the people that are self-aware 
are the ones that are asking themselves, maybe I'm not as self-aware as I think That's I am. Right. And you know, it's funny. I have a theory on that anyway, altogether. I, I was just talking to someone about this the other day. I'm like, you know, if someone has to tell me how, how great they are at something, <laughs> they're probably not that great at that thing, you know? I mean, if it's just like, <laughs> this is who I am and hey, we should go hang out. You want to go play tennis? And they're like freaking this tennis all-star. I'm like, wow. Right. But if they're talking to me about it the whole time, I'm like, mm. I know. I got him. But I got it. That's so true. Uh, hey, she also says that narcissism is on the rise. Low level narcissism is on the rise. Like 93% of people answered the question affirmatively that they consider themselves to be a very special person. <laughs> well, that's a Which is great. Right? I just, but, you know, before we go further, I need you guys to know that I am a really special guy. And please treat me as such, or I'll never come back. That, Dan, because here's the here's the thing: if if someone approaches you and says, "Look, I'm doing some research," you consider yourself to be a special person, right? Now, here's what's going to happen: if you say yes, you are a narcissist. If you say no, you are a fatalist, right? So there's just no way of, there's no way out of this, man. You just got to go. Oh, I think I'm right in the middle of the road. I, you know, I. <laughs> okay, so so Dan, let's pick up on your specialness really quick. Uh, so you, we've got a we've got a mutual friend, right? Nick Anderson, uh, yes, with on this program and. Uh, he reaches out to us and says, man, I got a, I got a buddy you got you to gotta talk to, right? So Nick says, hey, there's this podcast called Richest Men in Town, and you would be perfect for, the, for this program. What goes through your head? Okay. Well, no, no, no. The first time I heard about your program is I get this email from, from Nick Anderson, right? And it, he's one of my best friends in the world. I, I love the guy. And just so you know, from his podcast with you guys – the, uh, the, the friend that likes to take bubble baths and eat Oreos, greens and Oreos, is, that's me. That's me. Dan Funk is, is I am bubble bath. bath. <laughs> bubble bath, okay? Oreo bubble bath. There's nothing better. In fact, I've, I've got it already for when we're done here. Bubble bath <laughs> and Rima Oreos. But I, so I get, I get. Just so, you know, just so you know, Dan, before you get going, that's one of the funniest moments in the history of the program because right after Nick says that, Tyler says, that sounds like a dirty bath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Hey, it's, 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 it's a special. Hey, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Yeah, but right. I, so I get this email from Nick. I'm, I'm on his, his list of a thousand people he knows. And he's like, Hey, just so you guys know, I'm on this podcast called richest men in town. Now I get this, you know, we, we ran a company together and we were both very successful together. And, and then we split and he's continued to succeed. And I'd had some ups and downs. So I see this. I'm like, why don't you just rub it in my face, Nick, that you're making so much money. And these people, you're such an interesting guy. These guys want to interview you and I have to listen to it. Right. And so, so, so I was like, you know, it, it didn't seem like Nick, but uh, so then I listened to it. I'm like, okay, this is completely different than what I thought. And it's not, it was very, very different. And then, and then when he asked me, he's like, Hey, I, I really, I'm going to talk to these guys. I think you should do this. I'm just like, I, I mean, it's going to be really boring for them. I promise you, you can find more interesting people. And then I listened to more, to more, um, you know, to more of the, the episodes. And I'm just like, I'm like, uh, I'm not even in the same league. As these. I mean, talk about pressure. I've gone 
I mean, uh, not even close. These, these spiritual giants. I've, I, I have a life that is just like not even close to, to what these guys have accomplished and what these guys have done. You know, well, you I'm know, listening. I'm like sobbing. I'm like, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, this is the hey, worst. Hey, Dan, uh, game recognizes game. Yeah. Right. And when Nick Anderson says, we, I got a guy, we're, we're all ears. Right. So we've, we've had a pre-show call and we're excited to have, have you on, on the show. And we're excited to, to hear what life lessons you have to, to deliver and to share with our listeners. It, because the bottom line is, is your story is not my story. It's not Tyler's story. But somewhere in there, we've learned from this, from this program over time, somewhere in there, there's something that can help me be better. And there's something that can help somebody that may be struggling with something. So, so welcome. Welcome to the program. Thank man. you. Thank you. Yeah, we're Excited. glad you're here, man. I, it's, you know, I think we said it the first time we, we got on the call with you and, and Nick and Nick introduced you to Mike and I, um, you know, any friend of Nick it would be a friend of ours and, and we're just glad you're here, man. And, and so, so let's, let's start at the, at the beginning, right? And why don't you kind of give us some background of how you grew up, kind of your family and, and, and lead us, lead us where you are, where you are now. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, uh, I grew, so I'm the seventh of 10 children. And so I've, I, suffer from middle child syndrome right we picked that I, up right away actually <laughs> I mean, if you, if, look i like to be in the middle of a lot of stuff going on and uh, it, but you have to be loud and obnoxious to get any sort of attention from anybody you know <laughs> and uh, but i so but i grew up you know my my family members of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints my my dad uh is, and my mom is probably the two most perfect people to walk the planet right um, you know, my youngest memory, my dad's a bishop, my dad's in, in the state presidency, my dad's a mission president, my dad's, you know, it works in the temple in, in New Zealand, you know, my dad's currently the temple president in Mount Timpanogos, you know, in Utah. I mean, the guy is the most perfect person, you know, in the world. All 10 kids, all six boys, four girls, all six boys served missions, one of the girls served a mission, everyone went to BYU. You know, everyone's graduated BYU. I mean, it's the most perfect, you know, perfect family in the world. Where did you, you serve? Know? Where did you serve? I served in the Philippines. Okay. All right. awesome. So, um, I, can I share one story about my dad? Please. To give you. You're, okay. Hey, you, the time. The time is yours. We're actually just sipping back. We're just sitting back. I, I'm drinking water. I would be drinking Pepsi, but I'm pre-diabetic. So uh, <laughs> switch to diet Pepsi. That's a, that's a, that's a start. Um, so, so, uh, you know, I'm at, you know, in high school, I grew up in orange County. Uh, you, uh, interestingly enough, Nick Anderson, we, we, my parents knew his parents, Nick's, you guys are a few years, a couple years older than me. I didn't know him growing up. We met at work, but, but we lived in the same state. So I grew up in Southern California, uh, orange County. And, you know, in, in California, you go to early morning seminary when you're a teenager, okay? I'm, I'm the opposite of a morning person, which I guess is a night person. Most, most <laughs> people say, layman's terms, I'm a night, I'm a night person. A okay? night so, out. I think you'd be a night, night out. Thank you. Thank you. Night out. So getting up at four, 5 a.m., right? At 5 a.m. in the morning, I quit everything, okay? I quit school. I quit work. 
I quit church. Uh, nothing should exist at 5, 5 a.m. in the morning. Okay. So, you know, Monday mornings are the worst. I wake up 5 a.m. and I just want to cry because I have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I've got five more days until I can actually sleep in Saturday. Saturdays are my favorite days. So one Saturday morning in the middle of the school year, my father comes in on a Saturday at about six in the morning. Okay. Says, Daniel, my, you know, everyone calls me Dan. My family calls me Daniel. Daniel, um, your, your brother is driving back to BYU and he broke down in Barstow. And I just have this feeling that you need to come with me. Okay. I, I very few times in my life have been as angry as I was in that moment at my dad. <laughs> okay. My dad is a religious zealot. You know, this feeling is that is, you have this feeling. That's how you, that's how you manipulate your children to do what you want. So I was so angry and I, I fought him. So no, Daniel, you don't understand. You need to come with me. Okay. So I get out of bed. I go sit in the car, you know, and I am angry. Now it's about a two, two and a half hour drive. Okay. And I am, I'm fuming. I mean, if I could, I, I, I wanted to break things. I wanted to break windows. So two and a half hours, we find my brother and he's broken down. My dad takes a look at his car and he says, oh, okay, I can fix this. But um, I, I need a part. We just need to go find a, a parts store. And okay, great. This is my day just, it's, it's getting even longer. So we get in the car, we drive, we drive kind of through Barstow. And then, you know, we're driving by auto parts stores and we're driving by gas stations. And I'm like, dad, what's going on? He's like, I just feel like we need to go a little bit further up here. And I'm just absolutely angry. And then we start, we like pass through town and we're back on the freeway headed out of town and there's like nothing. And, and at this point I've given up, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm just, I'm done. And, you know, about 10 miles or so, you know, 10, 20 minutes later, my dad's like, I feel like let's get off here. And we get off there and it's one of those exits where like, I don't think they even have a bathroom here. Okay. <laughs> so we get off the exit and we find this tiny little parts store that probably doesn't have the part we're looking for. And, and um, we, my dad parks and he looks at me and says, Daniel, I just, I really feel like you need to come in with me. And I give up and I'm like, fine. I open the door and I walk out. I'm angry, you know, as, 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 as angry as a teenager can be at their father. And we walk in this parts store out in the middle of nowhere and I'm standing there. And all of a sudden I hear this, Dan. And I'm like, what? And I turned around and I saw two of my sister's friends. Okay. They were coming back from BYU. This is before cell phones existed. Okay. Coming back from BYU, their car had broken down. They didn't know anyone. They said, Dan, we have been here all night. We have been praying for a way to get back. I don't know your dad. If you weren't here, we wouldn't have recognized him. Can we have a ride back? And at that point, okay, at that point, all the anger I had for my father melted away. I felt like the tiniest person on the planet. I felt like the tiniest person on the planet. That is who my dad is. Okay, hold on a second, because... That is crazy. All right. That is one of the coolest things I've ever heard. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm like, 
What I'm part? What part? The part I'm store? Listening to Dan, this. Dan's right. with him, right? <laughs> the whole thing is just wild. But here, let me, let me, can we just talk about this for a second? Like, what, yeah. what does that do to you? One, in the moment. And, and, and two, having however many years removed from that, it's obviously an, a powerful enough experience that you're recalling it again. And that, that's a, a story that you tell about your dad. How, how does that, what does that do to you? I, look, I, I, the thing that I remember the most is how quickly my, my anger and my disdain for my, for my dad melted away. I mean, it was an instant. And then I thought about, like, I felt like there's almost this kind of guilt, you know? And it was like, my dad understood something and felt something that I was totally not in tune with, right? I was not too, I wasn't, I mean, I was a teenage boy that I, I, there's, I just felt like so unworthy to have participated, to be a participant in that moment. I felt so unworthy of that experience. You know, and it made me incredibly grateful, you know, for to a father who, who loved me enough and who was worthy enough and who was in tune enough with the spirit to be obedient and not let me, his begrudging, awful teenage son, distract him from what he needed to do. You know, and I, I also think back, I mean, there's a thousand things I think. I think about how many moments I've had in my life where I've had a prompting that I've completely ignored. Yeah. My dad did not ignore that. How many yeah. people let's, could I? Let's, let's yeah. think about, let's talk about that for a second, right? Because we all know what that feels like, but the confidence that you have to have in that feeling to be driving by auto parts stores. I know the pressure an angry teenage person can put on someone, Amen. right? And if I've, got um, a, if I've got a son in the car who's shooting daggers at me, and he's just like, he knows. He knows what he's feeling. He knows it's from God. He doesn't know the end story, but he's confident. And I, I, had, I want that. I want that. I want that level of confidence, right? That I can hear it, I can hearken it, and I can heed it. Well, and here's what I really love, Mike, too, is that, and, and Dan is, he, he's brave enough to walk into your room at six o'clock on a Saturday, <laughs> right? For one. And for two, not to just say, hey, Dan, why don't you come with me? I'd really like the company. But say, Dan, I have this feeling that you need to be on, in this car with me today. Like, I, I love the way that's framed. Because, you know, there's been moments with my own kids where I've felt like I need to be with them today. And I haven't said it that way. I've said, hey, let's hang out. Let's be together. I, I think you need to be, let's hang out today, right? And I love that just owning what it is. I have a feeling that you need to be with me. I mean, that's yeah, and, wild. And, and I, I never forget how he frames that because it wasn't. It was very, I mean, he had been given a task by the Lord. He didn't know it yet. He had been given a task. The Lord said, you have to go pick up these two um, kids. You don't know it yet. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you convince your deadbeat son over here to go with you, you know, and it, it came across. I mean, he, it, it, that it's, 
I, I have this feeling you need to be there. And, and the way he framed it at the time made me even more angry at him because I thought it was like a manipulation, right? Yeah. You know, I thought that's just how what you tell your kid, like, be afraid, like the Lord's going to punish you, you know, or, or, you know, I'm, I'm preventing you from going out and drinking and doing drugs with your friends by the Lord. If you don't, all these bad things you're going to, you know, but, but it was what it, it was representative of, of, of the task that he was given by the Lord. You yeah, but think about, think about come. what that does, right? So if, if we were to, to work on that, if we were to exercise that muscle and when we hear something, we do it. Think about the blessing that you would be to others, but think about how trustworthy you would be to God, right? That he would know that he can count on his servant, Mike Freeman, right? He could count on Dan Funk because Dan's got a proven record of hearing and heeding my messages. That, that's not something he can say right now about Mike Freeman. Like that's definitely something that I, I, I'm, I don't think I'll ever get on, on, on Mr. Funk's level, right? Yeah. But that's something to definitely aspire to. How does that, how does that or does that impact you as an adult in how you um, listen and how you respond. Yeah. You know, I've thought about that a lot over my years. I think it affects how I interact with, with my kids. Um, it, it, it's one of those stories that will come back to mind every once in a while, you know, when I, when I need it, a little reminder of, look, this is, this is how important it is to pay attention to those, to those promptings. And it's one of those things like my, my dad, I haven't always, I haven't always had a good relationship with my dad. Um, and, uh, but, but as I've gotten older and I've, I've seen the things that he's done, um, it's given me kind of a, a standard to like, look, you can look the savior. We always talk about, you know, the savior is the example, be like Christ. Well, I don't care who you are. You're not going to be like him in this life, right? It's not going to happen. I can look at my dad and I can say, this is attainable in this life. You can be like this. And he really is. I mean, I don't think he's had a dirty thought in his life. I don't think he's said a bad word in his life. I don't think he's ever been tempted by, by anything, you know? Um, and, and, you know, I, I see that example. I'm like, I can achieve that. It's I, I can do that. Maybe, maybe might not get there until, until the latter years, but it's a, it's possible. And it's, it's nice to know that there is, there is something attainable like that in this life. It's not impossible. So talk to me about really quick, your kids, you mentioned your kids, uh, give us some ages. Yeah. So I have, I have five kids, four boys, one girl. Uh, my oldest is 20 and I have four boys in a row, 20 I have a, a 18 year old, both grad two, my two oldest graduated high school. One of them's going to BYU, Idaho. Uh, then I have a 16 year old, 14 year old boy. And then my daughter is the light of my life. She's 12 years old. You know, I always tell my kids, I say, you know, I love you guys equally, but she's my favorite. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. What, what about your mom? Oh, my mom 
is she is the perfect companion to my dad. Um, she's, she is, <laughs> she, you know, she has, she had 10 kids, right? After, after the eighth kid, now I'm the seventh. I, I, I tell my parents, you should have stopped after seven. You guys were good, right? <laughs> All right. So she had number eight. And then, then, you know, the doctors are like, you know, cause she's tiny, right? She's, I don't know. She's like, she's like five, three. I mean, she's tiny and she's just tiny bones. And, and uh, you know, like you can't have any more kids or you will die. And she's like, well, I feel like I have more coming. So, and then she has kid number nine. And then the doctor's pleading with her, do not have any more children, you know? And she's like, well, I feel like there's one more in there. You know, I think, you know, I feel there's one more coming. So we're going to have another one. You know, I think when she got pregnant, the doctor even said, you will die if you do not abort this baby. And she's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm having this baby, you know? And it has baby number 10. And then it's like, well, that's all we're supposed to have and didn't have any more after that. So that, I mean, you know, I guess similar to my, to to my dad and that, you know, she just, she's not going to let anything get in her way um of, of doing what she knows she needs to accomplish in this life and and she's she's incredible she's completely ocd completely ocd imagine if you had 10 you had 12 people in your house how 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 often do you do, think about what laundry is like okay yeah, imagine. think about what cleaning bathrooms are like right you, you do not get through having 12 people in your house if you don't have a little bit of OCD. So my mom was like perfectly built to, to raise kids. They did a wonderful job. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so amazing. I love my parents. How do you, how do you honor them today? <laughs> Leaving the script, right? Leaving the script, hitting you with a question. Yeah, you, didn't, you didn't ask me that. I'm going to answer one of the questions. You, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Look, I, pro- I have such a better relationship, you know, and I've gone through a lot of stuff, you know, especially the last few years of my life that have really kind of driven me because even a lot of my adult, a, a lot of my adult life, I, I had a lot of, I don't know, I had a lot of hard feelings for, for my, my, my dad that I had to work through and, and um, you know, eventually had a, just a really deep, meaningful conversation with my dad a few years ago you know, we're, we're, I mean, just most humble guy in the world. He's like, look, I realized I was not the perfect father. And I, I, if I could go back, I would do it differently. And here's what I would do differently. And I am so sorry, you know? And like, from that moment, it was important. I think we built, rebuilt that relationship at the time we did, because then I started going through some stuff that I'm like, I mean, I still feel like I, I depend on my parents today. Like I did when I was a teenager and, and younger. You know, I, 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 call, I call them, I, I, I stay with them. I, 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 you know, they talk me through my problems. They provide counsel and, and wisdom and, and, and I, I, I listen and I, I try to do the things. I mean, it, it's, I, it, it's amazing. I thought I'd have like, like when you grow up, you leave your parents and, you know, visit them once a year and, and send them cards, but I'm still, I, I need them as much as I did when I was, was, a, was a kid and, and, and there's, they love it. They're more than happy to be there. Hey, so, where does that, where does that deep, meaningful conversation come from? Did you start it? Did he start it? Walk us through that a little bit, if you can. You know, I had a, you know, the company that, that, 
Nick and I, I worked at together. We, we had a guy, his name's Dwayne Boyce, that was kind of a mentor. He's part of this group called the Arbinger Institute. I don't know if you guys have ever read the books like Leadership and Self-Deception. Yeah, and Air, Airport. Anatomy of Peace. Airport books. There you go. Um, but, but he's one of the guys that wrote the book and, and he got hired on and, and, and he just became, you know, he's LDS. He, he was at the state president in Salt Lake, very humble, amazing guy. And he was a mentor and, I, and he, he helped mentor just personal things too. And I, I talked a lot about, you know, he'd ask questions like, you know, which relationships in your life are, are ones you, you, you feel like, you know, you need to work through or, or, you know, aren't as enriching as, the, as they need to be. And so I, I ended up talking a lot to him about my dad, my relationship with my dad. And, and he really, really encouraged me. He's like, look, you need to go talk with your dad and you need to have that. You need an adult relationship with your father. You have to be able to share some of these things. And I never would have, would have, if, if I didn't have that, that mentorship from him. And so, so I did, you know, and what I went out and visited and, and had that and said that, you know, basically just told him, say, look, I, here's some things that I'm angry about, some things that I wish would have been different. And like, I totally expected some defensiveness, you know, the, oh, we did the best we could with what we knew. Cause I, you know, I had those excuses before, but you know, again, all, pretty similar to that, to that first experience of the, of the, going out to Barstow, you know, his response was just like, I didn't do it the way I wish I could have done it. And I wish I, I, if I could go back, I would. And I'm so sorry. It just melted me. I mean, it was one conversation and it completely changed my, my relationship with him. It really is. It really is that, that simple, not easy, right? Not easy, but it really is that simple to be able to let your guard down and actually have that open honest conversation letting people in and and true and connecting yeah look uh, we we spend so much so much of our lives trying to justify why we feel the way we feel about people and situations and so we 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 through conversations and sometimes we build our lives in a way to just justify these 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 hateful terrible dark no good feelings you know and and it's you know, you become prideful. Um, and it's not easy. It's, you know, like the conversation we're talking about change. It's, it's, it's not easy. And in fact, the the changes that you need to make the most in your life, the ones that are going to be, I, does this ever happen to you guys on your show? We just had a first. It was was a first and it's, that's okay. There we go. So Dan, you were talking about justifying, um, some of those those hateful feelings or those feelings that we have for others that we're maybe not as close to as we as we could be. Yeah, and I I I think that's why we hold on to those things sometimes, you know, is is and and we spend um, you know, we spend all of our time just justifying and and it's okay that I feel this way because of X Y and Z, you know, it's it's not me, it's that guy over there, it's not me, it's it's her over there. You know, in, in, in reality, you have to look at yourself. You have to take those justifications away, you know, and, and it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah, I read something, I read something uh, the other day that refers to that as sideways energy. And think about the sideways energy that we spend in our lives, not making any progress forward, 
all of it is justification, rationalization, defensive behavior, right? And not problem solving, not mending relationships, not moving any further down the trail. It's, it's exhausting. It wastes finite resources and you go nowhere. Absolutely. And, you know, it's why the Lord, you know, spends so much time trying to humble us, right? You know, I was, I was, I was at work today and I'm sitting with my whole nurse management team. And, and this is a team we, I've struggled with over the, last, over the last year, really kind of struggled bringing them together. And, and, and today, one of them, had, and over, as we, COVID hit us two months ago, and it, it was the, probably the hardest thing I've dealt with work-wise, and it was very tiring, and it's very difficult. We, you know, people are dying, and people are getting sick, and you can't convince people to come to work. And we're sitting around today, and we were talking about just how much stronger we feel together. And someone made the comments, like, yeah, we've been, this thing has humbled us. This thing has humbled us. It takes, it takes humility uh, sometimes for us to tear down those walls so that we can see the things we need to see about ourselves, the, the areas where we're making life difficult for others. And, and, and look, if, if, if we're great enough people that we can humble ourselves so, so that we can see those things, so that we can become the, the people the Lord needs, needs us to become great, if, if we're not going to do that, then, then the Lord's weren't happy to, to provide us and put us in those situations that absolutely humble us. Let's talk about that for a second then, because I agree, right? I mean, humility is, is sort of this, this springboard for us to progress, right? When we're willing to kind of look, at, look internally and say, this is when we're self-aware, Mike, right? And uh, yeah. 13% that are self-aware. It keeps circling back, right? It keeps you guys circling. are one of those, right? You guys are the 14% of the percent It keeps but, circling know. back because if we're not, right, if we don't have that form, like even, even Dan was saying, right, sitting down with management team, if you're not putting in the agenda some time to reflect and to get feedback from other people around you, trust me, you're missing stuff. Well, and so let's, let's talk about that idea of humility. I mean, what, you know, you, you've, you've mentioned, you know, there's, we either have to be humble or we have to be humbled, right? And so can you talk about that a little bit, like your experiences of, of progressing and, and, and what that looks like for you? Because I, I'll, I'll, I'll share first, Dan, right? Because I will be the first to say that I typically – uh, choose the past path of being humbled rather than choosing the path of humility. Right. Yes. yes. Well, I yes. I'm with you on that one. Right. I, I'm, I'm pretty good at, at, at thinking I've got some things figured out and then, and then crashing and burning and realizing that I didn't have those things figured out. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, t- my uh, hope is though, as I get older though, that those, those crash and burns become fewer and further between, right. Because I've, there's a little bit, uh, hopefully we're learning. From, from that but let me ask the two of you a question when yeah. someone you love near and dear to you gives you feedback what's your first reaction well is it good feedback <laughs> not good man not you good. look great today <laughs> <laughs> no. how about we'll, we'll just call it corrective feedback yeah no one ever gives me that i don't <laughs> no i have no experience with that you can't re- you can't relate to it <laughs> I, I can tell you this. So 
Because I, I clam up. Yeah, my initial reaction is is probably um, is probably not good. You know, I, I probably maybe there's some resentment in that. You know, and and you know that what this the 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 old saying right? Truth hurts. You know, when you hear mm -hmm. those things, the, the reality is when I hear those things, especially if it comes from my wife or my kids, I know it's right. I don't want to hear it. I don't like hearing it. Right. So who, so let me ask you, who are you mad at? Um, initially I'm mad at them. I'm like, how dare you point out my flaws. Right. <laughs> and then, and then I think as the, as the evening wears on, I, I, I begin to be mad at myself. I mean, that, that's the reality. You know, I, I start with them yep. <laughs> and, yeah, you and lash I, out. Yeah, try to shame them out of giving me any correction in the future, right? And then, uh, <laughs> and then I then I look at myself and shut go, that man, down. Shut yeah, that down. Shut it down. <laughs> then realize that I gotta make some changes. So yeah. but life is sort of fraught with that, at least for me. You know, it's like these these moments of you know in in hindsight I look back and I go, Man, I, I if, if I could have done things differently. There's a lot of those moments, but then you know, I've talked about this too, like, and Mike, didn't you say to me that you were listening to a podcast that said everything happens for a reason? They're like, screw that, right? And that, that's not the case. But I feel like that there's things that happen in our lives that, that are transformative. And I feel like there's things that, that, that happen that can be um, things that can derail us and take us down a dark path if we so choose. And there's, but that same event can be a transformative moment, you know, and, and I, I think back to, uh, you know, making the decision for me when I was 18 years old, 19 years old to serve a mission for the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, and my dad being completely unsupportive of that. Right. And I remember thinking like, why, why am I doing this? Like, what's the point of this? Right. It's, it's causing massive problems in the home making a decision, which I thought was this good decision. And I literally thought like, dude, I can bail on this decision and no one's going to care. Like no one will care. Right. But then eventually thinking I'm, you know, stick, stick through it and, and, and go for it. Right. And, and, and let that change happen. Now, 25 years later, right. I can look back on that whole experience and say, man, that's, that was painful and that sucks. And I, I would never want to go put my kids through that or have anyone else experience that. But man, I'm a whole lot better today for going through that than if I didn't go through it. And, and, and that's just one, right? I mean, I, I, I could probably fill, if you guys just want to be quiet for the rest of the time, I'll just talk about my problem. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's, let's make you the official guest. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was. I thought this was about Dan. But all right, you, fine. We'll get back to Dan. All right, geez. This isn't the Tyler. This isn't the Tyler show. Yeah, your name is on the letterhead, so right. I guess you can go but, on rant if you want. You're my. You're my co-guest, Tyler. You're my co-guest right. on this. Dan, can you give us some some insight into that? Because we talk about humility, compelled to or choosing. <laughs> talk about that. Yeah. Look, I think. I think. Yes, I'm. I'm with you. I, I live the life of 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 compulsion. Is that the right word? I'm compelled to to be humble quite frequently. I have look. I, probably the like the biggest. You know, not too long ago, I, I think I've I've probably gone through the the biggest event that that's humbled me 
in my lifetime, probably with work, you know, and it started back with, you know, again, Nick, Nick and I, you know, we were running um, this company together. We were, we were uh, COOs, co-COOs of, of this healthcare company. Uh, I think at the time, the, the largest, you know, post-acute care company in, in California, you know, and, you know, you know six, six, 7,000 employees, 11, 12,000 uh, patients. And, you know, I was like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm awesome. You know, I'm like, I'm like, this is, I'm, I'm writing large. And, you know, there was a time where, where it became, okay, you know, maybe it's time for me to kind of go do my own thing. And, you know, through a series of events, I, I get to a place where I finally, I buy my own place. I, I join up with a friend that I grew up with that I absolutely loved. And, and anyways, we, we end up having a, a falling out that also led to my divorce, which led to me at losing everything. I lost my company. I lost my family. I, I had to declare bankruptcy. I lost my house. I lost everything I had. And I got to a place where, um, and I fought the whole, I mean, it's like, this is like this year long process of me just fighting. I, I had this mentality, like I'm the, I'm still, I'm so awesome. I'm, I'm the best thing that's ever happened to this industry. I just as I'm like kind of circling the drain, not learning what I need to learn. And I finally got to a place where I, I, I realized my, the only choice I had was to call, you know, a, a family member, a brother-in-law who's running my brother's company. It's the same industry, you know, um, a guy whose boss I used to be, you know, I called him up and I sent him like, look, I don't have any other choice. I, I need it. my license for my administrator license had, had, had passed to the point where I, cause I hadn't been running facilities. I've been running companies. So I didn't renew my license. And the only way I could get my license is if I started from the absolute beginning as an administrator in training, what I had started 20 years ago. So groveling, and, and he, he was nice enough to give me a job as an administrator in training. So here I am, not only that, I had to go to the, to the, the worst building in their entire company in one of the, the, the places in California, no one, they couldn't convince anyone to go to. And I, I wake up one day and I'm like, I'm an, I, I'm an administrator in training and I used to be the COO of, of, of a company that rivaled this company. And here I am, I'm some guy's assistant who, a guy who I had hired and fired at one point, And now I'm there as his assistant. That was the, the absolute most humbling experience of my life. And, and it took me some time to kind of, you know, to, to kind of get to a place where, where I was okay with it. But when I, when I've come out the other side, I've, I said, look, yeah, I think that the Lord knows who he wants me to be in this life. You know, I thought I was there. I thought I was, I was walking the path. I was, I was who I needed to be. But the Lord knows who he wants me to be. And 
he knows that I can't be the person he needs me to be. I can't learn the things I need to learn in this life if I don't have those experiences. And if I don't, if I'm not completely and totally destroyed down to a place where, you know, I remember this one moment. Okay. I remember this one moment where I'm sitting in this house. I I can't, I don't have a job. I can't find it. No one wants to hire me because I, because it had been, it had been a couple years since I was an actual COO and it was too weird to hire me at an entry level position. I could not find a job. And I, I, I remember just, it was dark in my house and just laying, it was a point at where I'm, I was, I, I gained a little bit of a testimony for word of wisdom because man, if I had a vice, in life, I would have gone to it. I wanted to drink. I never drank in my life. I wanted to do, I needed something to take this pain away from me, right? I was in so much pain. And because I didn't have anything else I could reach for, I fell to my knees in prayer. I had nowhere else to go. I had, I was destroyed. I was, I was a destroyed man. I fell to my knees and I prayed and I asked the Lord to help. And I'll tell you, just like my dad, the anger, the bitterness that disappeared when I was in Barstow, everything disappeared for a moment. And I was filled, I was filled with the spirit. And I knew in that moment that the Lord was in control. And that he hadn't forgotten me. He knew who I was. He knew I had an idea that where I was going to be in my life and that that wasn't necessarily where he, his idea, my path that I thought I was supposed to be on in life was not the path he was going to have me on in life. And that I just needed to have the faith. And that moment, I think it was probably a couple days later after that moment that I ended up calling my brother-in-law and just saying, I'm, I'm broken. I need help. I need a job. Um, but, and I'll have to tell you, it went away for a moment, right? It wasn't like all my problems went away. I needed, I needed a 30 second period of time where I felt his help and his love. And I felt that spirit, everything went away. And then after about 30 seconds, it kind of slowly came back on my shoulders, but to a point where I knew I could hold on to it and I knew I could go forward. You know, and since then I've, I've never been as in, in as deep or dark of a place I had been at that point um, since then. But I've had moments where, where I've been like, okay, I need uh, some more of that, re, you know, that energy. And I've gone back and instantly, so quickly, the Lord's willing to come and to give you a little bit of, of reprieve and then put that back on your shoulders. Let you breathe for a minute, put it back on your shoulders and let you continue to get through the next day or weeks. Dan, you mentioned in describing this, this experience that, um, you know, all, all of the things that, that you lost. Can I ask, can I ask how long ago that this, this process started where things started to unravel for you? Yeah, I, you know, so I, look, my, you know, I, I had gotten married 20 years ago 
about 10 years into my marriage, halfway through my marriage, um, my, my wife had come out and said, I don't believe in the church. You know, I think Joseph Smith is a terrible person. I think Brigham Young is, is a disgusting human being. I don't even know if God exists. Right. Um, and, and it was a pretty, it was a pretty tough time in life. Right. Cause you know, I'd grown up in this family, 10 perfect children at the time. Now, and we're not all perfect now. In fact, we're far from it now, you know, but, but uh, you know, this perfect family. And I had this idea of life, like, look, I'm going to go to BYU. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to make some good money. I'm going to be an elders quorum president and then I'm going to be a bishop and I'll be state president and I'll be mission president. Who knows from there, right? That was my trajectory. That was where I was headed, right? I just, I just knew that's where I was going. And then I have this big bomb placed on in my life of, of, I don't believe anymore, you know, but it's okay if you do, you know, but I don't believe anymore. Um, and so I go through this 10, 10 year period of time trying to reconcile everything, fighting to hold on to, 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 you know, to the marriage. I thought I, I was a I loved being married. It, I loved being married. I miss being married. I miss having a companion. You know, I'm, I, I miss it. You know, I loved it. Um, but ultimately, you know, it was, it was her, it was, it was ultimately her decision that it wasn't going to work, but I fought, I even got to a point. I remember thinking, you know, I'm like, I have, if, if, if I'm going to keep my family together, I have to not believe in the church anymore. I have to, there's no way I can have a testimony, believe the things that I believe and, and keep my family together. I'm looking at my five kids and I'm just, I want to keep, I want to keep us together. And I, and I, and, and, and so I had to fight, fight through those feelings, you know, and, and essentially, you know, at the, at the end of it, you know, um, I, I'd been coming home, you know, from, from being the, the building I had, I bought with my friend was, was uh, in another state and I'd come home and, and my wife would pick me up and, you know, she'd had some conversations with my business partner without me knowing and we've been talking about me and then had some other things attached with that as well. And it came out that she just ended up like, we're done. I can't do this anymore. And I remember the, the next trip I went on, I came back. Um, uh, it was the next week and I walked in my house and I opened it up and my house was empty. My kids were gone. They were taken and they had moved um, uh, from California to, to um, Idaho. In fact, in the, in the same city that my, my business partner uh, at soon to be ex business partner at that time, you know, had lived in. And so I, it was, you know, it was just absolutely destroyed, you know, but, but I, again, I think back, like I had those moments where I was like the only way, I'm going to keep my family together as if I leave the church. And if I don't believe anymore, I need to not believe, you know, and then to go through, I mean, the Lord knew I had to be humble because I can't, I mean, it's true, right? You, you talk about, you mentioned when at the beginning, when you were relating this, these uh, events, you said, I've gotten to a place and I'm okay with it. What, what is, what does that look like? And what's the process of, of becoming okay with it? 
it's a long process, you know, and, and ultimately I think it, it comes down. I mean, really it, it probably comes down to my own pride. Um, and, and it's a, a need to be seen a certain way by, by others and need to be seen a certain way by my family, by, by, by my kids, by, by people at work, by people at church and need to be seen a certain way. And, and, like you appearances, know, and, keeping up, keeping up appearances, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like keeping up with appearances, but you know, it's like, look, I'm the type of guy who is very spiritual. I'm the type of guy that should be a state president. Right. And so everything I design my life around I, this, these are the things I have to do. People have to see me doing these things, but not only that, my kids have to be act a certain way too. Right. And if my kids act in any way, contrary to that, I get angry at him. I get mad and life becomes very, very bad. It becomes very difficult for them because I need to be seen a certain way, which means they have to act a certain way. Right. And, and it was just this, this whole process over the last two, three years was just this whole destruction. The Lord just blowing that up and saying, stop it. You can't be who you need to be. You can't be who I need you to be if you are holding on to these things. And, and maybe it's because of my own pride. Maybe it's because of my stubbornness that the only way that I was going to get over those things was, was to have these things blown up. It, it almost become completely naked, you know, figuratively to say, look, yes, I, you know how embarrassing it was to walk into a building, you know, 20 years into my career at it as an entry level to, to, to report to a guy that I had hired and fired, you know, as the, as a COO of, of a company. I mean, you have no choice, but to be humble at that point. And I'm, I, I guess that, that maybe that speaks more to the level of how prideful of a person I've, I've been in my life, that it took that level of humility to go through that. You know, you can't help, but be humble. You can't help, but compelled to be humble. It's, it's almost like the uh, Viva La Vida Coldplay, right? Sweep the streets you used to own. There you go. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's, a, that's a that's a humbling humbling thing. Now, just so just and just so you know, like by no means have I arrived anywhere. You know, this is it's still I'm still trying to build. You know, I'm still it's still a day I hold on to you know, to a lot of, so my brother-in-law who I called, you know, who's, who's running, who, you know, he's, he's an owner in the company. It's become hugely successful. This is a guy that I, I helped convince to, to, to come into this, you know, essentially hired him, you know, and, and was his boss. And, you know, essentially, you know, I turned down a deal to work, to take over my brother's company, you know, in order to become a COO at the company I was at, my brother-in-law goes and he does and he becomes successful and he has this massive, huge house. He drives a Lamborghini, you know, and I go over to his house. I, I'm still, I'm still prideful. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous when I do that, but it's easier because I'll tell him, I'm like, dude, I'm just so jealous, you know, because I see that and I'm like, that was supposed to be my life. You know, he has, he's sending kids off on missions. You know, he's, he's doing all these things. And so it's still, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm still going through this, you know, so, but so it's, that pressure that you're talking about, that pressure of appearances, that pre what, have you thought where that comes from? Is that you? Is that, is that the church? Because 
we've all felt that. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's, it's, I think a lot of it is, is bred into us. You know, it's some of it is, is, you know, for some people that you have parents who, who lived that way. Right. Um, you know, oftentimes you're outward, you know, I mean, you think about it, we go to church, how are you supposed to, we, how are you supposed to look? You're supposed to be clean cut. You're supposed to be clean shaven. You're supposed to wear a white shirt, not a blue shirt. You're supposed to, we, we focus so much on, on the outward look. Missionaries must look like this. You know, I, I, we can't help, but, but make the jump from, well, yeah, what we look like when we go to church is obviously important because we're being told it's important. And, and we make the mistake, you know, I understand the principle of yes, you know, we, we do need to, to, to be well-groomed because the things we do at church are very, very sacred. And, and we need to take those things seriously and our outward, how we look and how we approach those sacred things need to reflect, you know, the, 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 the sacredness that we approach those things with. But I think, but I think we, that's the key, right? That's the key is somewhere yeah. in that process. We have to ask, we have to know the why. Yeah. Right. It's not like Tyler's mom would say, it's cause it's just because I said so, right. That's not, that's not what it is. We have to understand that the Sabbath day is this, and this is how we, this is how we go to church. And this is why we do what we do. But Otherwise, absolutely. it's almost like, it, and we can't stop. And it's our own, it's our own fault because we make assumptions and because we don't maybe fully understand, or maybe we get a little bit of the why, but we think that it applies to everything in life. But, and then all of a sudden it turns into, well, look, not only am I wearing a white shirt and tie, but all four of my sons under the age of five are wearing white shirts and ties. And not only that, they're wearing white shirts and ties until they go to bed Sunday night. And not only that, <laughs> we won't be caught dead watching anything unspiritual on TV. In fact, we won't watch TV. We're going to read scriptures all day. And all of a sudden, it just kind of, it's like this, 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 this dam breaks and this flood of, 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 assumptions we make about the, the true and real intentions of those other things just take over our life completely, you know, and we get so lost in it. And all of a sudden church and the gospel becomes more about how we look to others. And we make the mistake that because I wear a white shirt and tie and, and go to church every Sunday that I'm going to make it. It becomes, you know? and it becomes the social club as opposed to the, uh, the, the purpose of it. Right. I mean, and I, and I, I totally agree. I, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, Mike and I've had this discussion many times. I've probably said it on this podcast, but church is a red carpet affair, right? We, we dress up, we pull up, we, we get out, we do the walk. We let the paparazzi take some pictures of us with the, with all the kids the 2.5 kids. Right. And walk you know, I, got, I got this, I got this question for Dan. Yeah. Through all of this, did church help or hurt? Let's add to that, Dan, for a second, because did yes. church help prior to things imploding? And what did it look like post things imploding? Because I know the I know the ans I know what that answer should be. Right. I'm curious though, now looking back, was that a chore to go or did you find solace? Did you find the thing oh, that you needed to go through? Oh my gosh. Um, there are a lot of well-intentioned people at church. Okay. There's a lot of well-intentioned people at church, but all of a sudden when you go 
and you're the guy whose wife doesn't believe anymore, you know, or, or you get to the point where you're the divorced guy, you know, you feel like you're a failure in so many ways, you know, and, and not necessarily because of, of the choices I made. Look, you know, when we got married, you know, we, we got married, we were at BYU. I mean, we were on the same path. We had the exact same goals. And, and at some point that changed for her and it didn't change for me. And, and it became very, very difficult because I, I think we're so ingrained that, look, if you are the one that has the, the five, five sons under the age of four that are all white shirts and ties and talking about and wearing future missionary tags, you're spiritual, okay? If you're the guy with a wife who doesn't even believe anymore, dude, we hope you make it. There's plenty of time in spirit world to learn what you need to learn, when you get the other side and, and maybe you can, you know, maybe you'll, you'll make it buddy. You'll make it. You know, I even, it's funny because even I remember what I get my feelings hurt sometimes because all of a sudden you don't get invited to stuff because you don't have a wife who, who maybe is friends with other really spiritual, you know, because she didn't want to hang out with people that could only talk about the temple and, you know, and, and absolutely hated it when people were always try, like they come and want to be your friends just so that they could, try to convince her to come back to church. And in reality, she's like, we would never hang out in real life. Why would I hang out with you right now? Just because you want me to go to church. And so you become more and more ostracized and you stop getting invited to places. And then when you become divorced, I, I think I shared with you guys before, I, I remember I'd sit in that house. I was in Utah where you're ward your block. And I would on Sunday afternoon by myself and I'd sit at the window and I'd see every couple in the ward car pull up and park across the street at the, 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 the I think it was the primary president's house and, uh, and, and, uh, the, and her husband, the Bishop in, in embryo waiting to go for when the, you know, they all line up there and are having dinner and they're all, Oh, we're so awesome. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you just feel so, you feel so left out. It's not designed necessarily you know, but, but so that's church. But what, but what did help was the gospel. That, that, that's right, Dan. And I think that's right at the, at the core of all of this, right. If we, if we look at this, because there's a lot of people who are in your shoes and have gone through similar things that are sitting here thinking, I dread going to church on Sundays, right. Because of the same things that you're describing. And the reality is at some point we have to get to that, to that realization that it's not the building, it's not the people in the building, it's the things that are being taught in the building, right? That, that yeah, but this, this thing, we, I, I can't let this go because we understand that the church is made up of people and people are not perfect, right? But the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ is, and there's that, there's that gap that even Dan was talking about before, right? Where, you know, there's Jesus Christ and his standard, his perfection is, is the, is the command, but we're given folks in our lives that make attaining that possible. But that gap should not be that wide. Right. Like, like, like I, he, I, I made a note to myself, listening to Dan, and Dan, I so appreciate your show up today. I yeah. so appreciate the, your vulnerability because here's the thing. Not going to lie, Freemans, if we knew the funks and that went down, we'd be over here praying for the funks. You know what we should be praying for? 
the Freemans should be praying for the Freemans to learn how to serve the Funks. Yeah. We're not praying, you know, we would say things like, you know, bless them that they might have the strength that they'll feel close to thee, right? That they'll get through these challenges. No, we need to pray that we can know how to serve you, that we can not learn how to empathize with you, right? And I'm not saying that every, the ward's got to invite Dan over every night for dinner. No, but, in fact, don't. <laughs> don't that, that, and that's yeah sorry keep, keep that no, keep, keep but, I, that but, I, but I, put I a pin in that one yeah, I think right. it's so important right that we we learn how to sucker the people that are going through the challenges because honestly we are his hands right heavenly father answers people's prayers most often he answers them through other people and it's not the answer to dan funk's prayer isn't going to be some snide comment in elders corn about you not having a wife Look, I, right? I, I, I agree yeah. with you, Mike. I think, I think that there's this, to me, right, there's this, I, this, we could have this deeper discussion of conversion and like where we're, where we're at because, you know, we could all relate stories where we felt like, whoa, like I was judged harshly there. And, and we could all justify real quick why we don't want to be there anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's super easy to do. And, and I think we've got to look past that and see what, where, where we're at, right? Yeah. We've, got to, we've got to evaluate immediately why we're there. But there's and, no way, there's no way that in, in this day and age, as hard as it is, there's no way that one of the hardest things about a hard thing is going to church. So that's a problem. And I, and I, ha I, have, to say, I have to say this though, too. You know, in those moments, you know, I, 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 you know, I have those quiet moments where I, I'm sitting like, yes, every Sunday, it seemed like is and, and still sometimes it's hard. Do you guys remember going to the singles ward? Imagine going to a singles ward when you're in your 40s. Slip my wrist, please. Don't make me right. Because I only go there because it's almost worse going to the family ward by yourself. Right. But 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 what what I've thought so many times as I sitting there in the back of the gym in sacrament meeting, there was always that calm, quiet voice that just reminded me, look, you're not necessarily here for friends. You're here to commune with the spirit. You're here to partake of the sacrament. You know, you need to rise above that. You know, you're here, you're here to renew your covenants and, and, and you're here because the Lord asked you to be here. Right. Get we over have, it. We have to progress past the social club. I mean, so look, I, my wife and I, when we were first married, we lived in Arizona. Okay. It was a great place. We had a great time. Bought our first house. Remember the bishopric comes over to say hello and welcome us to, welcomes us to the ward. We invite him in. He sits down. He sits, well, he doesn't sit down. He proceeds to walk through my house. He comes back in. I'm thinking, what is this guy up to? And he says, I don't see a, a picture of the temple in your home. <laughs> immediate judgment for not having and I, and I just it was all I could do to not physically accost him throw him out of my house and never darken the door of that building again I mean honestly but but the same thing right I have this realization like and I remember telling my wife this like here's the thing I go to church not to see any of those people in that building I, I don't care I go to church so I can get something out of it I can figure out how to be a little bit better and hopefully those feelings towards some of those guys will soften, right? 
because that's, I think that's what we, that's where we need to be. Because if, if everybody in a church building had conversations like we're having right now, this, this whole idea of, you know, we, we talk about ministering in the church. It's almost become as, as cliche as, as home teaching, right? We throw it around like nothing, you know, but the reality is if we took the time to get to know people and not to know them because we want to, we want to put ourselves on a, on a position where we can say, well, at least I'm not brother funk, right? We want to yeah. be able to say, I know him. And if you get to know him, that dude's, that's a solid dude. Your life's going to be better for it. Right. And I think that's where we need to be. That's where we need to be targeting ourselves. But and Tyler, I, I, keep... I, I, I love, I love the church. Yeah. Right. I joined the church at the age of 19. I had a spiritual experience with prayer in the book of Mormon. And I will never, ever forget that moment, ever. That being said, we, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, need to do better. We've been taught powerfully this, this general conference on the culture of Christ. Right. And that needs to be the culture that people feel when they, go, when they come into our buildings. Amen. Period.com. Call your mom. Right. When they come into the building, they need to feel love. We need to cast aside judgment and we need to be about sinners getting better. That's it. And we're not there. Right. That's that whole thing. Thank you for enduring well. Right. Thank you for going through it. But again, going through it shouldn't be an arduous experience on Sunday. Well, it's, it's the whole principle of you're sit, if you're sitting in a pew and the person to the right, right of you smells like alcohol and the person to the left of you smells like cigarette smoke and you're judging them, then you're all three in the right spot, right? Because you're, <laughs> you belong there. You belong yeah. there, right? Your, so, your sin just doesn't smell. Yeah, well, that's right. It, it, <laughs> and look, I, I keep thinking back to, you know, I, I think back to my example, the example of, of my dad, right? You know, he, he lived a life in a way where he was worthy of those promptings, okay? And sometimes they didn't make sense. You know, I wasn't necessarily a project to my dad, but he, he, the Lord prompted, hey, you need to do this. He, your son needs this, right? I think it's the same. Look, I, I don't want to walk into a ward and become a project by, by any means, okay? Don't invite me over just because that's the thing you do, right? I think we just all live lives that we're in tune with the Spirit. And every once in a while, the Lord might tell you, hey, go ask this or go do that. You know, follow those promptings and then you'll end up doing the right things. If you try to come up with what you should do on your own, if I develop my own plan, and this is my entire life. If I develop my own plan, you know, okay, he's new, he's divorced. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I'm not going to do the things I need to be doing. You know, you've yeah. got to do the Lord's plan. And that takes patience, humility, worthiness, and listening to those promptings and acting on those promptings. So somebody going through what you have gone through, maybe listening to you in a couple of weeks. What would you say to that person? Maybe they've, maybe they've gone through a divorce recently. They've gone through a crisis. What would you tell them? I, 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 I don't know what I, t- I just want to give them a hug. I, all I want to do, I'd be like, dude, 
I know it sucks. It gets better. It's not going to be fun going through the process. You know, there's going to be a lot of dark times. There's going to be times you're not going to want to get out of bed, you know, but just come here and give me a hug and I'm here for you. You tell me what you need, you know? Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's probably what I, that's probably what I'd say. I, I'd probably be more just wanting to give him a hug. Probably nothing I'm going to say to him is going to make any of the pain go away. You know, just like buckle up, endure, get through it, embrace the suck. You know, you'll get through it. It does get better. There's light. And I would that's say, the last thing you want to hear too. I told so many people would say, Oh, it gets better. You'll get through this. It's like, well, screw you. It sucks right <laughs> now. <laughs> you know, but I, think, I think that you're, you know, the, the, the sentiment of, I would just want to give him a hug. Like to me, that's, that's, that's ministering. You know what I mean? Like sometimes we, we, we think like, well, I should have this, this at the ready, sermon i can give and pull out these scriptures and quote these people and this will help people get where they need to be and dude my experience is just that like sometimes it's just let's just cry together and let, let's have a hug you know and, and and that'll get us where we need to be you know just as quick as a good a good verse in the scriptures i, I love that Excellent. i love that thought so Dan, you, hey uh, really really quick if i could ask it's kind of cart before the horse i think we 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 got into some of the things that have been happening recently, but where was it? So your your seventh kid, everyone's yes. lining up, everyone's looking perfect, going to church. Where does faith become real to you? Where does faith become a source of power for you in your life? Can you can you look back on your life and point to a time or a moment? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, I, I think there's been a, a few levels of that for, you know, if I look, or my earliest memories, I, I think I was one of those, I, I, I'm, I feel blessed because I think one of my gifts of the spirit is is testimony, right? I, I think I was just kind of born, I just kind of knew, I never, I you know, I just kind of knew, but I didn't always know for myself, you know, I, I so I, I remember my mission, um, I, it was my very first area and we found this guy's in the Philippines and we weren't allowed to teach people that were Muslim um, just because of, of the people, the, the others that of, the, of their faith would, would do bad things to you and, and them if, if you did. But for some reason we found this guy that was Muslim and he spoke very good English. And it was my first probably month of my mission. And, and I like speaking English and, um, because uh, my companion was Filipino, didn't speak very good English. So it was just kind of nice. So we ended up teaching him and we're like, I'm going to teach you first discussion and we're going to do it in English. And so we went to his house and I went through the, the first discussion and I remember teaching him about the prophet Joseph Smith, you know, and I remember testifying saying, I know the prophet Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. And if you pray to God, he will tell you that Joseph was a prophet immediately. And I thought the man was listening and he's listening and he's not saying much. After I said that, he looked at me in my eyes and he said, brother, elder, I know that there is only one God and that God is Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And if you pray to Allah, you'll know that Muhammad was his prophet. And it kind of blew me away. And I remember we, we ended after that. And like, okay, thank you, brother. And, and me and my companion, it was, it was nighttime. It was our last we're walking back in the field is, you know, dark around us and we're just quiet. It's walking with my companion. We're just absolutely quiet. 
And then I remember look, looking at my, my computer and like, Elder, that guy knew his church was true as much as I know my church is true. That moment, I, I was totally devastated because I, I, it was up that moment. I had been living on, on other, other, my parents' testimony. I always knew, you know, but I, I didn't know for myself. I knew because my mom knew, my dad knew. I, I was, my testimony wasn't my own. My faith at that point was my own. And it scared me as a missionary. And I said, you know what? I, I had never, I, maybe I read the Book of Mormon, but I'd never prayed and asked if it was true. And so I'm like, I'm going to start studying. I'm going to study the scriptures. I need to figure this out for myself. And it was probably a year and a half where I was with this companion, my second to last area. Thank you, Lord, for taking so long. But my second to last area, I was with this guy. He's one of the missionaries that was like, he was a senior companion and got demoted to my junior companion. And, and he was, you know, I was, his, I was his, he was my project. I had to fix him, right? And I was so frustrated with him because all he wanted to do is hang out with members. All I wanted to do was go trap. And he hated me for that. And we had a particularly bad morning, you know, and I, he went, he got Companionship up. inventory. Oh my gosh. That wasn't happening. Okay. It wasn't happening. (laughs) (laughs) So, so he, he went to the shower and I remember that morning I I was just so devastated or I was so frustrated and I I got down on my knees. I'm like, Lord, I need your help. And in that moment, I had my, I had my, that's when I received my testimony in that moment. Had I opened my eyes and I, and I saw Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ standing in front of me, I wouldn't have known any better than I knew in that moment the reality of God and the reality of this church. And that burden of, of helping the, the, my, my companion was, was lifted. And I remember our first appointment that day was a first discussion across the street from our, our apartment. And it was my turn to teach about the first vision. And it was the first time in my life that I looked someone in the eyes and I said, I prayed and I asked, and I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God and that this church is his restored church on the earth. You know, and at that moment, my, that my faith started to become, it became my own. It was no longer my parent. I'm so grateful for parents, you know, that, that, that in, imbued these things in me my whole life that instilled in me the desire to go on mission. And I always knew, it was never a question I was going to go on a mission, but, but I had to take that step myself. And, and I, I can't tell you the number of times, even through everything I've gone through over the last few years, you know, the, the times I'd, I'd heard this talk uh, on my mission from Jeffrey R. Holland, and I don't know why my whole life, it's, this talk stuck with me because he, he, he talked about the prophet Jeremiah. And the prophet Jeremiah had been called at a young age to, to be a prophet. And every time he, he taught and he preached, he was, he was, he was yelled at. He, 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 was, he was stoned and he was thrown in jail. And he had gotten to a point where he, he was so down, he said, you know, I'm done. I, I can't, I can't say your name anymore. 
you know, and then he, he makes this comment. He says, but the word was in me to the point that I could not stay. His testimony was in him to the point where he could not keep his mouth shut. And I, I've, I've, I always knew that was my favorite scripture until I got to that moment where I was saying, the only way I'm going to keep my family together is if I deny, if I say the church isn't true anymore and I stop believing. And the two things that go through my mind at that point was that moment on my knees as a missionary that I cannot deny what I felt at that moment in that scripture from Elder Holland's talk, you know, that my testimony is in me. I cannot deny it. I cannot stay. I cannot deny it. Um, and, and it was that moment, you know, um, I'm grateful because it's, I mean, I've, I studied all sorts of, every, I have a brother that left the church. I studied everything he gave to me to try to convince myself. But from that point, um, I, I can't deny it. The church is true. And, and whatever that meant for my family and whatever that meant for me, I, I knew I had the church was true and I had to stay faithful. And it was shortly after that, that I went through everything that I went through, you know, and I, and I had those. So I'm convinced I had to go through those things, but I, I can't deny the church. The church is true. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, we ask about hinge moments all the time. That's a hinge moment. That is like the def- dictionary definition of a hinge moment, right? Where everything pivots. The story of Dan Funk pivots on that day, that moment on your knees. And I think we've all, <clears throat> we've all had those moments. And I think as a dad, that's, that's the question now, right? How can I foster those types of experiences. Our family recently uh, had the missionaries over and we were reading Enos. And <clears throat> I told my kid, one now, because one's in college. I, I don't know what 10 would be like, right? <laughs> like I got two. Uh, but I, I, I let him in. I just let him in. Like all of my hopes as a father is that when you're in your moment of wilderness, whatever that looks like, that there will be words. Maybe it's Elder Holland and Jeremiah. Hopefully it's mine, right? Maybe it's friends, maybe it's leaders, but that there will be words that will come to your mind thanks to the Holy Ghost, right? In John, we know the Holy Ghost, one of its jobs is to bring all things to remembrance. And in that moment, they'll have it they'll have what they need and it'll be their choice do i latch onto that but the second they grab hold of that thought right it'll be theirs and then they'll be held accountable for what they know and not what their dad knew or not what their mom knew but we have to have those moments right where it becomes theirs and yeah, I think, you know, how sounds easy, sounds easy, right? It's not, it's not easy. No, but, uh, you know, there's, but that, that's, that's, that's the reality of life, right? That we, regardless of what the type, the situation is that we're in, everybody's going through some, some stuff, right? We've got to be able to, to, to find those things that we can lean on. Dan, given, given all that you've, that you've, uh, you know, experienced and where you're at now and what, what gives you hope these days? You know, 
probably, yeah, it's such a, <laughs> such a hard question to answer, you know, because like, you know, when you say hope, like, 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 what, what do you mean hope? You know, is it that, that thing that, that, you know, that, that keeps, keeps you going, keeps you getting out of bed, that keeps you, keeps you motivated and, and, you know, and things like that, you know, I, I live for my, for my kids, you know, and I, I, you know, my kid, my kids, you know, my, my kids give me hope. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. You know, conference was this, was this last weekend, you know, an absolutely amazing conference. One of the things that's, that's hard is all my kids, you know, all my kids live with their mom who I, I, I can see them, you know, I, I get it every other week and, and, you know, on summers and all that, all that stuff. Right. But they spend a majority of their life, you know, with their mom and, and, and her philosophies and what she believes and what she thinks, you know? And so, you know, um, it, it's, it's, it's easy for me to kind of lose hope for what, what what that means for my kids because they don't go to church. They only go to church when I'm, when they're with me and I, I force them to, you know? And so I had my son, I was, you know, I was, and I pray for them every night, you know, and I'm just like, please, you know, Lord, just let me know what I can do. Please help my kids find that light. And, you know, I'm listening to conference and I, I end up texting my, my, my second oldest son who's at BYU Idaho right now. It's his, his first year. You know, and, and, and I just text him like, you know, almost kind of jokingly, Hey, so you enjoying conference, you know, kind of as my, as my jab at like, you know, I have to remind them that conference, I self-remind them that conference is important. He sent me a picture of him, his feet with, with a, a picture of conference on the TV. He had gone over to his friend's house, you know, and was watching conference on Saturday. Not even Sunday. Everyone watches conference on Sunday. It was on Saturday. And I remember in, the, in that moment, uh, uh, on Saturday, I just, I, 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 I just, I started to, to cry. I don't cry that often, you know, but I started to tear up and I was just overwhelmed with gratitude to the Lord. You know, that gave me hope that my children aren't lost to the gospel. My children aren't lost. Again, the Lord knows what I'm going through, what my kids are going through. He knows what I need. He knows what they need, you know, and he's, he's there. Um, so that, that, that gave me hope. Those types of things give me hope. Well, Dan, look, this has been, uh, this has been unbelievable tonight. And, and there's, there, it's funny because there's two thoughts that I, that I had as, as we're talking tonight. I had one was, man, what, how cool is it? The, 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 the web of connections, right. That, that we have in this life, you know, we, Mike and I have a conversation with, with Nick, you know, after years of years later, right, Mike, of running into him in Redding, California, and uh, and Nick um, comes on this show and then introduces us to Dan Funk, and and I'm super grateful for for the time tonight. Um, you know, a couple things that that I just that I take away from from talking to you. You know, I, you you mentioned multiple times tonight experiences you had where your burden was lifted right? For, for a moment, your burden was lifted. And, and I, and I think, and I don't think, I know, I'm going to even go that far, Mike Freeman, that I know that someone's going to be listening to this podcast and hear your words and be in their own personal crisis and, and be reminded that they can reach out 
and have their burden lifted. And, and honestly, like that's what this is about. It's about people coming together, sharing our experiences, and hopefully someone learns something from it. I'm a better man from knowing Dan Funk. I know that much, tonight, <laughs> Mike Freeman. Hey, Tyler Gould, can I, can I share something really quick? Yeah. <laughs> um, so much. It's, it's, so I've learned so much listening to your story, Dan, and I really do appreciate it. I am curious to know what does the, what does the rebuild look like? So in your mind, as you look out five, ten years from now, what does that look like? You know, it's, it's interesting. It looks a lot different than, though I, I should say the way that I look at it, I look at it a little bit differently than maybe I did five, ten years ago. Because what the rebuild is, is more about relationships you know, it's where I'm more focused on, on here's where I want to be in my relationship um, with my kids. Um, here's where I want to be on my relationship with, with, my, with my parents, with my, my siblings, my sisters who, who've helped me. You know, here's, here's what I want to be and here's, I want to just be okay with whatever, wherever I end up in life. You know, wherever I end up in life, the, the thing that's going to be the most important is, is just my relationships. And, and, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, you know, I think about, again, you know, the, the title of, of the podcast, the richest, richest man in town, you know, and really, you know, for me, it's, you know, the, the things I want to, uh, I, I want to accumulate the, the only those things that I'm able to take with me when I die, right? Those are, those, I think those are the riches. That's, that what makes, that's what makes you rich in life are the things that you're able to accumulate in this life that you get to take with you when you die into the next life. And that's why, you know, building those relationships with my kids and, and, and the love that I want them to have for me um, and, and, the, and the richness of those relationships with, with everyone. That's, that's what it looks like. That's what I want to focus on. So would you say that that's something that you maybe learned the hard way? <laughs> Absolutely. It wasn't always, it, it wasn't always like that. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I absolutely not. Look again, I think I said it before the the things that are, that are, that we need to learn the most in life about ourselves are the things that are going to be the most difficult. The, 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 the changes the Lord, the changes the Lord wants us to make in order to be the people that he needs us to be in this life are the ones that are going to be the most painful and the most difficult. Um, uh, and, 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 and that you may want to ask yourself, look, if, if, you know, I may be, what are the things, I may be avoiding changes. If you're avoiding changes just because there's something that you're going to have to do that's going to be difficult, don't. Because the fruit of that is just as painful and as terrible as it is. You know, it, it's, it's sweet on the other side. I, I, I believe that the fruit can only be as sweet as, as the pain you go through to grow it. Can't be any more. It's not going to be any less. 
Yeah, that reminds me of this. I think there's a C.S. Lewis right on the gardener. And the gardener taking wax at trees and the trees like, what are you, what are you doing, right? But he, but the current the gar- bush. The, God's yeah. the gardener, right? Current bush. That was D.H. Roberts. Yeah. Nice. I like it. Love that talk. <laughs> well, hey, uh, we've spent some time together, man. And, and I, I, I love everything that you've uh, shared with us. It's a wonderful life. Christmas coming up soon, right, Tyler Gould? Amen. The, the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, in that movie, we have our our hero, George Bailey. And George Bailey goes from on a bridge ready to end everything to wanting to live. And at that end of the movie, his little brother, the war hero, comes in and toasts George Bailey as the richest man in town. That's where we get our name, and that's how we wrap up every show. So, Dan Funk, what does it mean to you to be the richest man in town? Counting the number of people that will miss me when I'm gone. How do you want to be remembered? It was hard, but he made it. (laughs) (laughs) It was hard. He's beat up. He's beat up. He's black and blue, but, but gosh darn it, he crossed the finish line. Crossed it with honor. I I I love that. I I would say that uh, you know there's there's a couple couple people here with Mike and I tonight that uh, count ourselves as as fans of Dan Funk. Actually, when you leave, Dan, Tyler and I are going to fight to be president of your fan club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know what that looks like in a Zoom room, but it's going to go down. It's happening. <laughs> But, I've got a t-shirt for you. Whoever wins, I got a t-shirt for you. Dan, I, I am, I'm, I'm just grateful for, for what, what you've shared tonight. Um, it's important. You know, these, these conversations are important that we have them. And, and, uh, and I'm convinced that uh, there's someone that's going to listen to this who's going to be affected, but I will, but selfishly tonight, I learned some things about, about what, what I need to do and where I want to be and how I want to improve. And for that, Dan Funk, I'm grateful, man. I'm, a pre, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you're part of the, of the richest men in town and, and, uh, and we wanna keep, uh, keep, keep close. So we- Tyler, Tyler, man, we, we got to be better. You got to. We got to be better. And if, if this, little, this little podcast project can help other people understand the urgency to get better, and if Dan's words can help us understand that urgency, let's go. All right. Dan, hats off to you, man. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate you, brother. Good idea, Ernie. A toast <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs>